0: The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Benfica dropped the first leg of the Portuguese Cup semi finals at Alvalade to the noisy neighbors, but they're still all to play for in the second leg. While Benfica are also still alive and advance in the Europa League, Rangers next on the docket. And in the league, it's two more wins. And for now, first place with the Noisy Neighbors right behind us and a game in hand. There's a lot to talk about. This is an action-packed episode of Mr. Benfico. We're going to get you ready for the Classical on Sunday as well. So you are in the right place. And it starts right now. Vamos! Clubs in the world, and um, so I think I love football. And if you love football, you love Benfica. Oh <laughs> I man, fans are just awesome. So, uh, Mr. Benfica is saying that uh, he's supposed to be working, but he's still uh, there uh, watching uh, Benfica. Um, <laughs> I won't tell your boss, I don't know who he is. And, uh, this is just what we wanted. Going into an international break, we wanted to bring his casa, and the support we had here today was top. There's no comparison to this atmosphere. And there is a poor one from Sipayos. Oh, it's a great chance here. What's up, Benfica Nation? Welcome to episode 182 of Mr. Benfica. I'm your host, as always, the Mr. Mike Agustinu coming to you here on a Friday night here on the Upper East Coast of the United States of America to the entire world, wherever Benfica's are listening. Of course, Benfica's that preferably understand English, so that you know what I'm saying. But wherever you are this evening, this morning, this afternoon, whatever time, whatever day it is, where you are, Welcome. We're going to talk a lot today and uh, we got a ton to go over. I'm going to do my best to keep this under reasonable uh, time constraints. Benfica have lost the first leg of the Portuguese Cup semifinal and we are all feeling it the same way. Well, not maybe not all the same way, but we are all uh, down about that a little bit. But I'm here to tell you that that round is not over. Essentially, the round is at halftime. I know people don't necessarily want to hear that, but we'll get into some more details about that in just a few moments. And I'll break down the key moments of the match. I rewatched this match a second time now, and I've rewatched some of these key moments. And I have some better insight than I did last night, yesterday, when the match occurred. And, um,. I just got some stuff to share with you guys, uh, let you know what I saw and what I think going forward for this for this side. I'll try to get into the head of the manager, try to get into the head of uh, those involved and um, maybe explain a little bit what went down and why we uh, were not very successful in, in the things that we tried to do in this match. Also, the Europa League, it wasn't pretty, but Benfica did advance, okay, beating Toulouse on aggregate... But uh, drawing nil-nil in the second leg in France, uh, a little bit of a disappointment for all. Obviously, all of the Luso-French Benfiquistas in the crowd, not just Luso-French, but you know the the diaspora that's all over Central Europe specifically, and and the people who made the journey from Portugal and wherever else you live to Toulouse to see that match. I know it was frustrating. I know it was disappointing. But at the end of the day, Benfica do advance. And there's reasons. Um, there's a lot of reasons. What's going on? I'm going to try to try to unlock some of those reasons and try to uh, give those to you. And um, you know, you can you can take it. You can you can under. You can uh, I shouldn't say that. You can you know agree, disagree. I'm just going to give you my my POV on it. And uh, that's all I can do. Um, I don't even necessarily agree with with everything that has been done tactically technically uh strategically but i'm doing my best and have done my best to try to understand it and that's what i'm going to try to communicate to you guys here in the next hour or so also in the league if you could go top of the table like we said uh in the cold open there two victories over let's be honest maybe the two worst teams in the league um vizella especially i think uh, i don't know that i at the end of that match Everyone was excited. Everyone was happy. And I asked myself, honestly, is there a worst top flight team in the top 10 leagues in Europe? I don't think so. That is a bad team. And um, I think we got a little bit of a false sense of security from it. And in the same way that it wasn't great that Benfica, you know, Picked up those goals in those two matches, and what did we score? Uh, nine goals in two matches between between Vizela and Portimonense. Uh, it's also not all terrible, given what's gone on uh, this week. Well, with, or not just this week, but in the two previous not so good matches between uh, Benfica against Toulouse and against Sporting. But I'll talk about that. And also, uh, at the end, I will give a little bit, a quick preview of what I think is coming our way on Sunday in this crucial Clásico. And for me, this is the most important match of this entire slew of matches, in this entire, you know, push of of playing every three days. This one on Sunday is the match that matters the most. There's no question about it. Uh, Well, I'll, I'll give you... Somewhat of a prediction, but this thing can go anyway. So I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna try to give you a couple different possibilities of what I think may happen at the Dragão on a Sunday. You're probably listening to this on a Saturday and that you know, doesn't give much time to, to get the episode in before the Porto match, but I do wanna give you a little bit of what I f- For that match. And also, this past week, Benfica celebrated the 120th anniversary of the club on February the 28th, as we all know. February 28th, 1904, was born the club that we all love. It was born as Sport Lisboa. We all know that the group Benfica came into the fold a few years later and became part of Sport Lisboa, changing the name, if you will, to Sport Lisboa Benfica. There's some controversy out there whether or not it's the same club. The football team did not change. Okay, the colors did not change. Uh, the kits did not change. They didn't wear badges in those days. But for, only, for all intents and purposes, Sport Lisboa Benfica's lineage starts on February the 28th, 1904, 120 years ago. And I want to start this episode by talking about that because this was a remarkable Wednesday for all of us. If you were on social media or you were out in the streets in the various cities around Portugal celebrating, I mean the spontaneous—what seemed at least to me all the way over here in the United States—spontaneous celebration, pyrotechnics, uh, fireworks in in some places, celebrating the birthday of our club, which we all believe in. I believe in my heart. To be the biggest, the greatest club in the world. Maybe not the best football team in the world. Not none of the different sports. None of the different departments are the best in their sport in the world. That that's not what I'm saying when I say that we are the best club in the world. Um, we are a club born of twenty-four visionaries in 1904, who wrote a constitution that has been amended, that has had addendums, but is still the letter of the law at our club. This to this day, okay. We're the oldest democratic institution in the Republic of Portugal. In fact, we are older than the Republic of Portugal. Okay, we were a democratic institution in the Kingdom of Portugal as well. And for that we we should be celebrating and it was a fantastic day even mike tyson got in on on the celebrations how cool was that seeing that on twitter seeing the video of mike tyson wishing benfica a happy 120th anniversary and then saying black panther forever of course paying homage to the king to our spiritual king to our image if you will our icon king Ozebu. Rest in peace, of course. Been gone already for over a decade, and it's hard to believe. But he'll be forever the image and the icon of this club. And when you think Benfica, you think Ozebu. And Ozebu obviously making an impact. His story, his story making an impact and having an influence on Iron Mike. And thank you to Iron Mike, the GOAT in the ring. The, one of the greatest world champions. And... Um, Maybe the best, you know, knockout puncher of all time. And uh, he's a Benfica. It's not fake. It's for real. I was there uh, about, thir- I think it was 11 years ago now. Maybe a little more, a little less. Red Bull Arena in Harrison, New Jersey here in the United States. Benfica took on New York Red Bulls. Got there really early. And I remember just being in the concourse, making my way to my seat. And suddenly, you know, you hear the the not shouts, but you hear the chatter and you hear people saying make way, coming through, coming through and people start to pull out their phones and start to take pictures and you wonder what's going on and I remember with my friend and we kind of make our way over there, we peek over what's going on. Huge entourage. That entourage is walking Mike Tyson. Iron Mike Tyson. To his seat at Red Bull Arena. To watch. He's wearing the Benfica jersey. Wearing the scarf. And he's walking to his suite. I think his luxury box. Where he watched that match from. Mike Tyson's Benficaismo. Is for real. Thank you to Mike Tyson. We got thank yous. for. We got. uh, Sorry. We got happy anniversaries. Or happy birthdays. From players all over the world. From so many of our former players. Ruben Dias. Pablo Aymar. Ederson. Ederson. um, You know. Uh, uh, Zal Gouste, excuse me, I, f- I froze there for a minute, Zal Gouste, uh, he, he gave up his big Viva Benfica, Viva Benfica, I mean, the, the, the tributes came in from everywhere. Our boy from Goal TV, Nino, even got in on it, Nino Torres tweeting happy 120 to Benfica that day. And no, I didn't tell him to do that, no, I didn't ask him to do that. Uh, it was it was awesome, absolutely awesome. We got it from every corner of the globe you know it was just it was it was a magical day in which at least for one day been, we just stopped fighting with each other we stopped we got away from each other's throats we took our uh, our hands off each other's throats uh, fighting over different things. and the day we we realized that we're much stronger, we are a much stronger club and a much stronger body, a much stronger movement when we are all together as one when we respect each other's differing opinions yes we can have differing opinions no question about it you can like the coach you can dislike the coach you can like the players you can dislike the players at the end of the day we all want benfica to succeed never will we be you know rooting for benfica to lose to to invoke a change that's not the way it's going to happen but when we realize that we are so much more unstoppable, united. Nobody will be able to stand in our way. Nobody in this little league that we belong to can stand in our way if we do not destroy each other. Okay, we need to get together here. We need to get behind this team, get behind all of the sports. I'm not just talking men's football because Mafika is not just men's football that needs to be shouted from the mountaintop. That cannot be stated enough. I cannot stress enough, Benfica is not just men's football, Benfica is women's football, Benfica is basketball, Benfica is athletics, Benfica is roller hockey, Benfica is volleyball, men's and women's in all of these departments, Benfica is, was cycling, hopefully will be again, Benfica is chess, Benfica is as casas. Benfica is not just Lisbon either, it's not just as many as, you know, one of our rivals wants to say, the, a club of the capital. No, Benfica is of the entire world. Every city and town. Empties into the streets in Portugal. Every single city and town, including the city that belong you know, whose name sits in the name of our in my opinion our biggest rival okay for me living here our biggest rival comes from that northern city up there with all due respect to Sporting, and I have a lot of respect for Sporting, believe it or not I don't know that I always show it, but I have a lot of respect for Sporting. I actually think Sporting this year are playing a br- brilliant brand of football I think it's amazing how they have built the best futsal team in the world Okay, Spartan have built the best futsal team in the world, but when it comes to sheer uh, dislike, I don't want to use the word hatred, that is strong, and I don't think it's accurate, but when it comes to just the, the real rivalry, and again, the dislike, and I mean, the things that, that get my blood boiling, it's that team that we're going to see on Sunday that gets that out of me, Okay. Sporting does not elicit the same emotion. I admit. For those of you living in and around Lisbon, I understand why that is. In and uh, it is that is my grandfather's rival. My avo's rival is Sporting. I think for me, for my generation, for the last forty years, the rival has been Football Club do Porto. And again, they they've earned that spot too by being dominant throughout the much of that history. And um. It, it, that is our rival. And as much as they want to call us the club of the capital, there were fireworks and, and flares in their own city Wednesday night celebrating our anniversary. Okay. Don't be fooled for a minute to think that Benfica is not well supported in the north because we are. I like to joke that are the kings of the north because when Benfica play in the north, the northern Benficistas come out in droves and bring a much different passion. Not a knock on anybody that goes to the luge. Not a knock on other away days. But there's a different passion. There's a there's a hardcore... I don't know how to explain it. But there's just a different chasa in the Northern Fikishas And for that, I am forever grateful. Okay, I'm forever grateful. And on that night of February the 28th, Wednesday night, February the 28th, 2024, the 120th anniversary of Sport Lisboa Benfica, we were all as one. And that is how we need to be each match day. Yes, we are a democratic institution, and yes, we are an associative club, which means there's going to be debate, there's going to be difference of opinion, and that can make us stronger. It needs to be kept in check and in the right channels and in the on the right platforms at the right times it's not slim it's not you know ridiculing each other on social media ridiculing each other in the cafe or at the bar in the streets because of differing opinions okay we all need to get behind the badge every single one of us behind the badge if we do that if we go into each stadium for the rest of this season with the with the support 100 percent behind the team you may not like joe mario most of you don't but when he is on the ball he is wearing your badge and you uh, you know if we get behind each and every draw mario each and every roger schmidt each and every player that that is a little bit harder to support so for some it's rafa for others it's di maria for others you know whoever insert whoever you want okay Whoever it is, we need to be 100% behind that player because he is wearing our kit, wearing our badge, playing for our badge. And when we come together like that, nothing can stop us, especially not in the little league that we belong to. With all due respect, again, but the Portuguese league is what it is. We have seen it, okay? And if we band together, if we support our team through every match, in every city and town, we can't be stopped. Playing good or playing bad, we cannot be stopped. We are a movement. We are much more powerful than we realize. We've been pushed around for years, and if we come together, that's gonna stop. The, and, and listen, we've made huge strides, and I I expect on Sunday, our team to take the pitch in the stadium of our rival, a team that has pushed us around, smacked us around for forty years, for the better part of forty years. In the past three matches. We have not, we have not been intimidated. We have not backed down. That is how we need to go into this match. But we also need to play with intelligence. We need to keep emotion in check. And I think that got away from us in this sporting match a little bit. Emotion got a little out of check when that no good Fabio Verissimo, you know, got the message in his ear to. That he got the message in his ear he made the box with the var put his hand up for offside an offside that's incredibly controversial i'm gonna try to break that down i'm gonna give you my take on it and um it may not be the popular opinion and to be honest i feel differently than i did 24 hours ago about it as well so we'll see uh we'll see how that <laughs> how that comes across when i get to that point in the match but Let's take a quick little break here. Let's listen to Reconquista because we need to reconquistar who we are, our identity. We need to reconquistar Portuguese football. We've got three months left. We we are still in every competition and we can do this. And uh, we're going to play the song real quick when I come back. I'm going to start off in Sporting, and I guess I'm going to work in reverse. I'm going to talk about Sporting and Toulouse first, and then I'll talk about the two league games. After that, this is Mr. Benfica, episode 182. I'm the Mr. Mike Agostinho. Like I said, you can follow me on Twitter, at Mike Agostinho. that's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. Again, M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O, Mike Agostinho. Follow me on on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. You can also follow the show on Instagram at Mr. Benfica and check out the website, www.mrbenfica.com. And I will be right back to get into it. All right, here on Mr. Benfica. Enjoy Reconquista for the next minute or two. Não o carregas sozinho, em cada que não um vizinho Sente o carinho, do algarve até ao minho O vermelho pinta a tuga e é isso o teu colinho Na reconquista do que é nosso, por direito que não vim Por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força, sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora, nós somos o eterna abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo Envolve nossas o querer de todos nós Welcome back to Mister Benfica episode one eighty two. Let's get into it now. Let's talk about Tasa de Portugal, the Portuguese Cup semi final leg number one. Played uh, at the time of recording, it was played yesterday. By the time you listen to this, it's a few days back, but it was played on Thursday at the Alvalade, and uh, both teams coming into this um, on different. The, what was interesting about this match is I think people got a little bit extra confident. Because Sporting dropped points last weekend. Okay. Um, well, in all honesty, I prefer them to drop. Po- I prefer that slip up of theirs to happen in the league, so that they drop points. Had it happened here, they would have still had another ninety minutes to recover the round. Whereas uh, had they, they can never get back those two points they dropped uh, at Rewav last week. So that's how the teams came in, but Bayfica coming off another somewhat misleading 4-0 victory over Portimones Again, I'm going to talk about, the, I may even, uh, rather than make a separate segment about those two games, I'll probably just intertwine them with uh, with this segment, and that way I don't keep you guys, I don't keep you guys, uh, you know, you know, keep having to listen to me in your ear for, you know, another two hours like I've done in the past. That'll keep this episode a little bit, a little bit quicker, and, um, you know, a little bit more respectful of your time and i do appreciate everyone's time who takes time to listen to me but again uh the two teams coming in on slightly different um levels of optimism perhaps however uh was in this and uh i thought the two teams were going to show a little bit less to be honest with you i thought that these two teams were going to play this a little bit less um open for sure I thought with the the fixture congestion coming up that they were going to be looking uh, more towards the upcoming matches both in the league and in Europe knowing that there was going to be a second leg in this tight no matter what but I think Spartan came out to try to win this and uh, Benfica kind of came out to try to survive it and I don't know for a fact if that's Roger Schmidt's thinking. I don't know if that was the actual mentality. That's what was translated to me across my television screen, or across my iPad screen, to be exact, as I watched this match um, on Thursday. But I think that uh, it it kind of gave the mom- th- This result kind of flips the momentum back over to Sporting a little bit going into this weekend. But at the same time. I can't help but hope, <laughs> can't help but hope that Sporting maybe used a little too much gas in this, and maybe they'll just be a hair slower against France on Sunday. Who knows? Uh, Benfica knows they have to go to the. There's no way of getting around that Benfica has to go to the, the go at the end of this match. You know, on the weekend. And as much as people want to say no, you worry about the match in front of you. That's not. If you are in charge of this team and you are managing the entire season, and if you are a player managing your body, you really can't take that approach as much as supporters would want that. You know, um, this was a first leg, and that that can't be understated. And a lot of fans are missing this. Okay, Benfica nearly made things much much worse over extending themselves, taking more risk than necessary to try to, to level this game at the end of this match, okay, trying to make it 2-2 before the final whistle. I'm not saying they should have just taken a 2-1 loss, no, I'm not, but I would have preferred less risks taken. We nearly lost this one 3-1, let's be honest, we nearly lost 3-1, and if, if this match had finished 3-1, we would be talking about a whole different scenario going into the second leg, which, by the way, is not until April. It is three days before we play them in the league, which adds a whole other layer of complication <laughs> to the task at hand for both teams, for both Benfica and for Sporting. Okay, don't think for a minute that it's just that it's not just as taxing and as pressure-packed for them. Okay, you saw them crumble a little bit. You saw the pressure get to them late in this match when it became two-one, and they thought it was two-two. That their world was crumbling in. They thought it's happening again. And it can happen again. We have seen Benfica score late on Spartan just in a n- numerous amount of times now. It's happened many, many times. Benfica almost always in the Luge especially almost always saves it for late. In this one we, we just couldn't get the late equalizer. But again, you have to remember and this is my opinion, you're free to disagree with me by the way. That doesn't make me right and you wrong. I'm just giving you my opinion is that this tie is at halftime, okay? And taking such wild risks to, to try to get a leveler at the end of these 90 minutes, to me, and in my coaching background, okay, and in trying to win rounds, trying to get through to the next round, trying to progress in a competition, that's the equivalent of of going all out at the end of the first half to try to 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 get level before halftime, which makes no sense in the context of a 90-minute match. For me, personally, it makes little sense in the context of what we have in front of us, which is a 180-minute match, which, by the way, again, we're like five or six weeks away from leg number two. Who knows? Who knows where? And maybe that's why you want to justify going forward here. But whether we lose... Two to one, as we did, or we draw two two. We still have to come out on top at the Luge in in uh, leg number two. No more away goals rule, unfortunately for us, because the last time we met them in the semifinals. under Bruno Leisch. it was the away goals rule that that completely, uh, not the complete that did in fact eliminate us in leg number one in that tie at home. Went ident- almost identical to the leg number one we saw yesterday at the Alvalade, just in the inverse. Sporting's eleven for this match, okay? Of course, managed by Ruben Amuri. Israel uh, Franco is the goalkeeper. I'm again totally opposed to using a backup goalkeeper in a cup semifinal. It's it's something that I don't support. And um, it's something I've always criticized Benfica for doing. It's something uh, I would have criticized Roger for doing if he went out with... Of course, it's a whole different story. But if he had gone with either of the backups in this one, absolutely uh, would be losing my mind. I know we don't have the, the same... Well, I'm not going to say that because both both um, backup keepers are you know young Portuguese keepers. But... Israel gets the call here from Ruben Amorini. They go to the back three, something we have struggled with all season long, and not just this season, but in past seasons as well. Uh, Sebastian Coates, their captain, anchoring in the middle with Eduardo Koreshma to his right in the Oman to his left. The wingbacks are Jenny Katamu and Mateus Reis. Double pivot in midfield that were just... They were just fantastic in this game. Uh, you have to give credit to them. Uh, Nulmand and Morita, oh, sorry Hulmand in Morita. I'm reading it off my screen, and that's an H and not an N. Um, Morita, especially for me, I thought he was. I thought he was the best player on the park for them. I know he didn't score a goal, but uh, he, for me, was the workhorse. He, for me, was the one putting the balls all in dangerous areas and creating all kinds of problems for us. Uh, in front of those of, of that double pivot, you've got Marcus Edwards and Pedro Gonçalves, a.k.a. Pott, playing as kind of outside forwards, outside mid, like hybrid midfield and forwards, behind the striker that we have to give our, his due. Uh, of course, Victor Jorcaez, the Swedish striker, and he did it to us again. Okay, This is two matches against him, two very, very similar goals from him. He loves the near post. Um, I don't know if it's Ruben's staff scouting, but all of Sporting's goals against us this season beat Ruben to his near post. I don't know if that's by design. I think all three of them touched the post on the way in as well. Um, I again I'm curious to know and uh, again if if we had journalists in Portugal that were worth anything at all they would have they would would have picked up on that and asked him that if there's a he may not answer it but to ask him if there's a specific plan to 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 try to beat Truman to his near post I don't know if they're seeing a weakness there but it's interesting i went back and watched uh, i went back and watched parts of our match back in november as well today to try to see some similarities and the similarities are there marcus edwards to marcus edwards to Jorka, yes i mean <laughs> it, it it's not that that um, you can see what the plan is you can see what they want to do against us and it's something that needs to be corrected by the for the next time that we take the pitch against them all right benfica's 11 here trubin in goal, of course. Uh, ba is your right wing back. Antonio and Otamendi are your center back pairing. Frederik Aushnes moved to left back. I get this. I agree with this. I know a lot of people don't, but at this point, the proof is in the pudding. There, there's no disputing. It's it's fact, not opinion, that he is our he is our best option at that position. Even if it's not his best position, we have more depth. At his position than we do at that position, and that's why, for me, for the rest of this season, he needs to be one of the back two, one one of the the wing backs, right, either on the right or the left. I'm really not happy with Ba recently. Uh, I know he's coming back from from injury. I know uh, it's not easy necessarily to get back into a rhythm, and uh, but he's he's really been a liability for us he, when we've needed him here unless we're playing vizella who i said may be the worst team in in the worst top flight team in europe at least in the, the the 10 top leagues um unless we're playing them he really is uh been exposed lately he's out of position a lot he's losing a lot of balls um he is a right-footed, unfortunately, a right-footed Alvaro Carreras right now. Carreras has been exposed. Uh, he was inserted in, in, in situations that were not beneficial to him. And uh, I think I think uh, he's his confidence is, is through the ground now. And that's not the manager's fault. He cannot leave him out there to, to burn at this point. We need the team that is going to get the results. We're getting to the final push of the season here. We're, we're approaching the final 10 matches of the league. The late stages of these competitions. And right now we need more security at the back. The problem now is finding balance in midfield. And where I really disagree with Roger. Is on this insistence of not having Tino in that midfield. He provides that balance. We have... What I think, I'll I'll read off the rest of the starters here. Um, This is the same exact lineup that played a few days earlier against uh, Portimonis. You got João Mario and Jonevge in the center pivot, in the middle pivot, you know, the two-man pivot there. You got Di Maria down the right flank. David Nerj down the left flank with, uh, with Orkan Kokchu in the number 10 position behind Rafa Silva. As a false nine, a mobile striker is, is the term they're using. Avançado Movil in Portuguese. Um, I'm struggling to figure out what he's going for here. I kind of saw it a little bit in, in in the other matches, but again, I think when you, I think what Roger's trying to do. If I try to go in his head here and in his staff, if I'm his assistant, because m- the majority of my career at the higher levels I worked at was as the assistant. Okay. And I, I worked real closely with managers, with head coaches. Um, had a lot of conversations. Gave a lot of feedback to them. Because what I see, the manager always, all of them, have this a tendency to overthink. They stay up late at night overthinking things. You know, you, you drawing up lineups. Playing on the tactical board, you know, with the magnets. Moving guys around. This to me, this lineup. Now, what it looks to me, okay, what this lineup looks to me is that he's trying to find a way to put his most dangerous ball handlers all on the pitch at once. This is the sense I get. I could be completely wrong. Again, the media, the press doesn't ask good questions. They don't get good answers out of him and and he doesn't have to he doesn't have to offer information either. It's the press's job to give these to get to give the questions to get these good answers. They're much more interested in talking about controversy. They're much more interested in talking about, is your job secure after every single match? Win or lose, is the perf- is the result better than the performance? How about talking about why some of these player combinations we're seeing are happening? He, It feels like just yesterday, the complaints about Roger Schmidt was that he was too predictable. The same 11 play all the time. And now... He's completely unpredictable. I don't know if this is a response from him. If he's tired of it. If he's trying to. If if he's trying to prove something. I don't know why. Why this is the lineup. I really uh, this does not um, suit his style. This doesn't suit our personnel. But what he's trying to do, in my opinion, from the limited information I have, is he's trying to put specifically Kokshu. Rafa, David Nerj, and Angel Di Maria on the pitch together. Okay? Now, Di Maria leaves a lot to be desired in many phases of the game. But yet again, Di Maria is always involved in the goals. Okay? He always gives you something. And in this match, he gave you something. He gave you a world class, uh, you know, whipped cross. On a bender, right onto Auschnitt's foot for the two-one goal. Without that, well, again, we're looking at a completely, completely different, uh, poss- a different, sorry, different um scenario going into the second leg. The tie was rescued on a Di Maria cross. Okay, when we played, uh, when we played Porto in in October, whenever it was September, early in the season, he did nothing for eighty-eight minutes. The side of the match. Okay. This is what you get with Angel Di Maria at 36 years old. Does he play too much? I think so. Now, is any manager not named Carlo Ancelotti able to to play him less than this? I don't know. I don't I players wield way more power than the average fan understands today. Okay. Players and their agents, I should say, wield far more power than I think the average person is aware of. And um, and it's not even him like intentionally saying things it's perceived okay a lot of this is perceived there's pressure from from the club from the board there's pressure f- from everywhere to when you have a player like this okay to keep him on the pitch and to his credit he has factored in many he has delivered a lot of points to benfica this season but he has also been at fault for a number of goals that we have surrendered and he is in the picture For one, for sure, and possibly for two, both of these goals in this one. Um, Rafa as a striker for me makes a little. I think the idea is that. The idea was that Sporting are going to come forward, okay? And they're going to possess into our. I think it was to invite Sporting forward, okay? To invite that back three forward to. Create space in behind that then rafa can exploit but rafa does not have the vertical run just because he's fast doesn't mean he has the vertical run he does make it one he makes one good run in this match okay one very good run in this match um diagonal that leads to a corner that nearly leads to an automendy goal but again i think that this lineup has it the only justification as I, i i can look at it can be that he he wanted to have these four guys on the pitch together. There's Romario question. A lot of people don't like him. Romario in this position works if you're not going to go with Florentino. Now, if I'm the coach and I'm not obviously okay, and I'm not even going to pretend to be on Roger Schmidt's level. I've obviously been a big supporter of his. I still am. I, I can disagree and still be a supporter. Um, what I think. What I think. Uh, if you again, what I would do is I I would always play with a true nine to hold the ball up and to hold the def- the central defenders of the other team back and to you know give us some territory and to buy time to get players forward so we can maybe create some overloads. Uh, he's not looking for it at these last couple of matches. That's not been what he's looking for. And I would always have Tino uh, in, in that midfield sitting. He protects the two the two. Uh, center backs, I'm not sure, uh, I like to think that if Tino's on the pitch, that second goal may not, may not happen, listen, our record when Tino starts versus our record when Tino does not start is very different, okay, we've lost very few matches that Tino has started in his career, but no matter, this is the third coach now that doesn't in, that insists that he's always the guy to be dropped, and I think part of that is because he's a nice kid and because he doesn't complain, it's just human nature. Is this a knock on the manager, possibly? But I think it's just human nature. The squeaky wheel gets the gets the grease. It happens a lot, and I think this is one of those situations. That's again the only up uh, the only explanation I can I can come up with here. But again, I'm not the manager, so I'm I'm gonna go into the manager's head and try to think. You know, I've got years of conversations with managers. I've got years of uh of disagreements, even in, in things like this, and where they come from. I think is is what I just said. It's to get these guys on the into The idea is that Tino going forward doesn't give you enough. But what Tino gives you in ball recoveries and in positioning allows the other guys around him to not worry about that part of the game and be much more efficient and much more productive in the other roles of the midfield. Um. It looks like he's trying to play cockshoe in what everyone wants, where everyone wants to see him in that number ten position. And as a result, I think you're getting less out of Rafa. If you're trying to play in transition, okay? Do you want? If you're trying to play against the team and you're trying to build counters, and I think this is designed to create counterattacks. That's why you don't have the striker. Uh, you're trying to invite sporting forward to create that space to then play balls in and then to get him to Nedish Di Maria, and to get him to Rafa, and Kokshu is the, is the vehicle for which you want to, to deliver those balls. Kokshu is very good at the vertical pass. He's the best guy we have at delivering a, a vertical pass. He has not shown everything he can be, and I don't think we're going to see it this season. I think we're going to see it next season, um, because I think the personnel will be different, and it's going to be more suited to his game. But what he does better than anybody else on this team is delivering that vertical pass playing sidewards balls and and you know um, sinking in and cutting off passing lines is not in his is not so much a strength of his so I think this is this is a imbalanced midfield that is trying so hard to get balance you actually get the the opposite effect that's what what I think I see here um, I want to talk real quick about Fabio Verissimo the man the the man in the middle the the referee. I'm gonna be brutally honest with y'all. He was atrocious both ways. This guy is bad. I've looked at some of the key calls. Okay, watching live, I thought that Spartans shout for a penalty uh, in the first half. I thought I actually felt like that was a foul i thought pot committed the foul to be honest i it looked to me when i first saw it that joranev got there first had this because he has the same right to the ball as does the attacker i thought he got there first and i thought pot stuck his leg out to make contact and really he was the one that made that 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 uh initiated the contact and thus uh fouled joranev watching it over now uh, 24 hours later I'm not so sure anymore. I think they have a valid shout. I don't know that there's enough. I hate to say this because I criticize this this expression all the time. I don't know that there's enough to call a penalty. What I uh, the way I look at this is the call on the field had to stand. There's not enough of evidence to overturn it either way. If he calls a penalty, there's not enough evidence there to overturn it. If he says it's nothing. There's not enough there to turn to overturn it. In my opinion, that's my humble opinion. That we may have disagreements all over the internet or all over, you know, the podcast world uh, about this. The referee experts are all going to weigh in. They probably already have, but that's my my POV on that. My my point of view. Um, but Sporting, to their credit, didn't didn't lose their minds and didn't uh, lose their focus, and they scored moments later uh humland humland i think that's how you say it plays a beautiful ball to the back post and a uh, pot i don't know if he did this on purpose i think he did i don't he he heads this to the near post and beats trubin trubin looks like he's getting his arm out for it and it looks like the post actually prevented him from extending his arm all the way i think he would have put his arm into the post the ball kisses the post and goes in uh, worst case scenario for a start is to have is to have that uh is to have that happen nine minutes in but sporting are on fire to s- this first 30 minutes was it was all them and yes we were disorganized and imbalanced and we were losing balls and not getting forward but we have to give them their credit, too. We we need to learn as a fan base sometimes that the opponent has uh, has the ability and the opponent is good, too. They have quality, and their quality w- was creating our problems. Um, I don't think it was a lack of attitude from Befica at all. I don't think there was a lack of effort. Uh, there was some confusion, and there was difficulty in coping with with the overloads and the switches that sporting were doing they were very very efficient in their switches and again Morita uh, lights out in this match just moving the ball around okay um, BeFica finally gets their first chance again I gotta speed this up because <laughs> because we're going long already and I'm still on the first couple minutes of the sporting match but uh, Bayfica finally gets an opportunity late in the half and it's a ball that's played diagonally it's sent by di Maria. If I'm not mistaken. Into space on a diagonal run for Rafa. Rafa picks up his head. Uh, it's To be honest, it's one on three. Juan Benfica's forward arriving in the area. Oh, one Benfica player arriving in the area to Sporting's three defenders. And it's a low probability anyway. He does well to win the corner. And then off the corner, it's Di Maria delivering the corner again. And Otamendi gets his head to it, but isn't able to redirect it enough to go on goal. Attacking Indian this ma- had a very very rough match in this one. Okay, he's booked in the thirtieth minute, and that booking for me directly relates to the goal that is surrendered. That is his fault. Okay, um, I went back and watched that. I rolled it back about a minute, and we're trying to press in the second half. Okay, we're trying. We're coming out. We're trying to press. Roger makes the switch. He brings on. He brings on Moratu because Ba was disastrous, I'm going to be honest. He was disastrous. He had to do this, in my opinion. Uh, moving Auschnitts to the right, and it, this results because Auschnitts ends up being there to finish uh, the goal and to get us one back. I don't think Ba does that. I don't think Ba ever gets that high up the pitch in that situation, um, the way he was playing. But um, but if he could try to press, okay, and the ball comes out and. Moratu is very, very late getting wide. Okay, uh, the ball falls to... I think it came I think it came to, to Jenny Carambo. Um, Carambo, excuse me. To do, he, he gets the ball way out on the flank. And the press is already broken. And Moratu steps really, really high. But he arrives really late to try to break that down. And then Edwards is open. And Edwards falls into that pocket in the right center channel. And Otamendi goes i mean he makes he steps really high here he steps really really high and tries to i guess delay the progress of the ball there tries to stop tries to stop Sporting from going any further and what he does is he opens a, a easy lane here for oh sorry this is before the goal i'm confusing my situations in the game but he opens a huge huge gap for uh, for Jorquera to make a run, and the ball is delivered, and then I think it's it's received by Jorquera and and dropped for Pot, and Pot then gives it to Otamendi Now has to make like a 60 meter sprint back to his position. Uh, Antonio's got two guys to care to to mark, and I I got to give a minute in uh, shortly. To just how good Antonio was in this match. I know I've been critical of him, and when, sadly, when I learned his grandmother passed away, I think that explains where the lack of concentration might have been. I know some people, I, I've suggested that, and some people said, well, he shouldn't have been playing, but I think what he need, I think the club realized and the manager realized that what the player needed at that time was to be playing, and he needed that, and I think it's the right thing to do when one of your most important players is going through something like that. Um,. A, that's neither here nor there now, but I, I was very sad to hear about his grandmother and Drognev's mother also. But um, again, in this one, uh, Antonio Silva was absolutely, this is the best match I've ever seen. I think I've ever seen Antonio Silva play as a senior player. And uh, But he's got two guys here. He's got, I believe it's Pot and it's Marcus Edwards to worry about. And I think Morita gets up in the in the action as well but uh, Otamendi's sprinting all out. He, he's out of position here. He's on a yellow card, okay? And he gets back in position eventually. The ball does get delayed. It gets denied, I should say, the through ball gets denied. But then Otamendi for me inexplicably slides at the loose ball that that's in the area of Marcus Edwards. I think that uh, I think that he could have just stood his ground. Closed the space. And blocked, you know, a shot. I think if it was a shot on goal, it would have been blocked. Um, But he slides. Marcus Edwards sees that. Marcus Edwards goes down. Fabio Verissimo again. Atrocious both ways, Fabio Verissimo. But this, this, this was especially atrocious. And what I believe this was, was Fabio Verissimo had decided... Maybe he'd seen something at halftime. Maybe he was told, I don't know, but he had decided he got the fir- the one in the first half wrong, and he's trying to make up for it here. That's the you only. Know, I mean, it wasn't even close to being a foul. Jer-Kaiz, uh is actually the guy that gets the first. So I, my again, I was com- I was confusing this play with the goal. So Jercayes is is not the guy that gets into the into the channel that wins the first ball, but. He ends up making the looping run, but he comes back from the offside position to get it, to touch it to Pot, who gives it to, into the direction of uh, Marcus Edwards. And Marcus Edwards goes down once Otamendi, you know, dr- slides in. Uh, uncharacteristically tough game for Otamendi. Um, he he right away says he doesn't touch it, and rightfully so. The VAR shows an offside, which to me is unfortunate because I think had the he had Yorkayas not been offside, Marcus Edwards would have gone into the book for a for simulation here because this was a clear simulation. And if you look at it, Edwards, um, Edwards uh, goes down and right away knows he wasn't touched. He gets up. There is not. You can read his face that he knows it's not a pen. He knows it's not a pen, and um, he he knows and eventually the VAR communicates down to the to the referee and the call is overturned offside is called but then just a few minutes later is the play I was beginning to talk about here now uh Otamendi again having a tough day he he also fouls uh, he also fouls he fouls Edwards a minute after and gives away a free kick and then the goal comes okay the goal comes from a through ball and it's familiar the ball comes down the Spartans right hand side our left hand side uh Katamo gives it to Edwards Edwards plays it with the outside of his foot exquisite absolutely perfect bend onto the run and a perfectly bent run by York I young players that want to be strikers need to watch this run to see the way he bent his run and he looped it to stay on side Otamendi can't run with him Otamendi knows he's on a yellow card, so he can't even foul him. And that's why Otamendi's off balance and why he's muscled off the ball. And then once Jorkayes gets in one-on-one with Trubin, he uses his left foot to kiss it off the near post again. Sporting go ahead to nil. Again, tough game for Otamendi. I think he's going to turn it around on Sunday, and he's going to give us a monster game. Throughout his time with Benfica, he has always responded well after bad games, and I, I don't expect this to be any different. Um, We see Kasper tankshed subbed on. This is where the Benfica got better. Ned is off. Ned for me, was not very good in this game. Okay, I understand everybody wants to see him. I still am gonna stand to what I've been saying. It's gotta be either Nerg or Di Maria. Very rarely should it be both. Maybe against the smaller teams when you gotta score early and you want them to, to, you know, get an easy not an easy victory, but you wanna have a less stressful victory, then yes, bring on bring on um, the two of them. But in most cases, especially in a game like this, it's just you got two players. That are too similar. Our biggest problem, everyone says that with our plantel, with our roster, we are way better than them. The one thing that, that kind of makes that a little less evident, uh, le- less true to me, we do have a better player if you go 1 through 20, whatever. Yes, in terms of talent, the problem is we have three or four players that offer the same skill set. And we don't have the same you know diversity of skill sets. And that's what makes it different here. Um, basically, we're in a position where always somebody needs somebody that shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be sitting. Someone that should always start has to sit because of the way this squad was built. Um, it's it's just a tough position to be in. But Kasper coming in makes total sense. Again, I, I'm an Arthur Cabral guy. I think that he's finally finding. As soon as he started to find his stride, he's now been returned to the bench. Because we've gone to this strange formation. But in this situation. Casper's the better option. Why? Because he has the pace. And he can make those those vertical runs in behind. That makes Kokshoo much more useful. And he can play them in. And finally what he can do is force Sparthing's back three. To retreat a little bit. And now we can play a little bit in between their lines. And you see. For the rest of this match. We take control of the match. We get the equalizer. Thanks to... Uh, you know, it it starts, believe it or not, with the João Mariu ball recovery. He wins it. He finds, he finds uh, a teammate who then finds Cockshu. Kokshu picks out Di Maria. Di Maria wastes no time. He sees the guy. He sees uh, Auschnitts's run to the far post. He sees the path, and he delivers the ball Pin- with pinpoint accuracy to the spot. Auschnitts, all he has to do is open his foot, let the ball hit, and redirect it past Israel Franco, and it's two to one. A few minutes later, Benfica, uh, again, pressing and Sporting are about to collapse. They are about to collapse. This is the one stage in the match where I got very confident. And Kokshu and Di Maria combined beautifully here for what many say should be the the equalizer. Let me get through what happened. And then I will give my thoughts on the ruling. Okay, Um, Kokshu makes a nice diagonal run, Di Maria plays it into him, and again it's a ball won by by João Mario, by the way he finds Rafa, Rafa finds Di Maria, Di Maria plays the ball on the diagonal run to Kalkshu, who plays it back Chesteru, like they say, plays it driven diagonally back Di Maria, with the outside of his with the vela on his left foot, beats uh, Franco it looked like we had pulled level 2-2 Sporting didn't even ask for an offside. If you go back and watch, nobody's got their arm up. Nobody is asking for an offside. The goalkeeper is not saying his his line of sight is is impeded. But after all the celebration, when we I, I knew when I saw the replay they were going to call it. At the time, I thought it was the right call. Right now, I guess I can go into it now. Right now, I, I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to work through it here with you, and maybe I'll come to a conclusion here as I clarify my thoughts on this microphone with you my first impressions when i first saw it watching the match live after i was done you know being excited and celebrating the goal my first impression once i saw the replay was that he was offside and that the goal was going to come back i was watching with my son he, he came down into my office to to visit with me in my hair the office where i work um because i was at work while this was going on but i did peek over at it and uh i I was excited but then I said oh uh, they're going to call they're going to call Tinkstedt offside there. I, you could see he was offside. I I really don't like this rule. But um now that 24 hours later that I've seen all the still shots that I've seen it uh, it does not look like Tinkstedt being offside was in Israel's uh line of sight but again the only way to really know is to have a camera behind the goal i think and to or actually really the only way to know would be for for the goalkeeper to be wearing a helmet cam which is never going to happen but again it it was it was hard to hard to tell and i'm actually playing it right now i'm going to watch this one more time uh while i talk through what i see so i've i've unpaused the video where the goal happens. Di Maria now just played the ball through to Coxhu. To Cokshu back to Di Maria. And the ball goes into the far post. And um, I I don't I think that And I, I feel like I say this I would say this even if the goal was against us. I don't feel like this should ever be an offside. That doesn't mean it's the wrong call. I'm I, I don't like the rule. Because well, I, I think football needs to get away from these rules and these laws of the game where it requires referees to make an interpretation. Now, you can see it. Not one sporting player has got his hands up. Um, the goalkeeper is not saying anything. He's yelling at his defenders for their for their defending. And nobody is surrounding Fabio Verissimo, the referee. Um, I'm watching it right now. There is absolutely no protest at all from Sporting. Um, the first pass, there's clearly no offside, which goes to Coxshoo, back to back to Di Maria. And this is the point, this replay that's playing now, is where I said, oh, they're going to call this goal back. He's offside. And he does, now that I look at it, that there was an angle from behind the goal where he clearly is nowhere near the line of sight. However, the angle from the front of the goal, he looks like he's in the goalkeeper's way. Nobody... At all expects this to be offside. Interestingly enough, today, and now Verissimo's going over to the monitor to, to look at it, I guess. And uh. Yeah, it looks like he gets this one wrong. This is on Verissimo. I was blaming the VAR official, but this is on Verissimo. He watches the monitor and he makes the call and it It doesn't look like he's on he's in the line of sight. I mean It looked okay. This angle they got here behind the goal, he does look like he's in the line of sight. However, it this angle that they show, he's not in the line of sight. It's a tough call to make, but it's it's one of those again. You need to have you need to have undeniable evidence, like it needs of a of an error, you know, of a girl and. If you have to look at it and say, well, from this angle it looks like it wasn't, and this angle it looks like it does. There's no definitive angle, and I think that the the, the call on the pitch again needs to stand. This is this was uh, I I I feel stronger now watching this for this is the third time. Uh, yeah, it depends which behind the behind the goal view you look at. He's never. I thought he was in. He was in the line of sight originally. Now I don't think so. And um, again, the referee is a central point in one of these matches. This does not change the fact that Benfica did not uh, did not play well. That Benfica did did not do enough. I mean, my problem, my biggest problem, is now from this point forward, going forward in the match. This. Benfica kind of loses it here. You see Di Maria go in the book for for words, and now the FPF has another complaint about him. They're gonna—I don't know what they call it in English—but Acacia. I don't know if they're that they're gonna file another another complaint about him. But what? this rule, uh, this rule isn't—it—it it leaves too much up to interpretation. The rules should be simple. Football rules need to be simple, especially now when we're using video replay to make decisions it needs to be concrete if the ball hits him then he's in the play and he's offside if a player trying to defend bumps into him uh offside and he it it prevents somebody from getting to the ball it's offside this here with the whole line of sight thing that's very very hard uh for anyone var or not to to decide and to, to judge on and at first, I thought that this that he got this call right as much as I didn't like it. And now, I I don't think he got it right. He got it wrong. I mean, he was only at the monitor for a minute. But I would love to hear the the conversations that went down. Um, this is controversial. This is Portuguese football. Loving the controversy. And, uh, I don't I uh, Fabio Verismo is a very, again, a a very bad referee for both teams. Each team has several valid uh complaints about many calls in this game, okay? Um this one's the biggest probably. You know, you you can make a case for for the like I said, I've kind of changed my view about about the shout for penalty for Sporting in the in the early minutes of the game and um I can see where where there I can see it now. I don't I don't think it's it's a penalty necessarily, but I can see it. Um I think both players kind of make contact with each other in that one. And this one there this is really um this is really just a tough way to have a goal called back. There's no way of knowing. With only the goalie knows whether or not was in his line of sight and he didn't even make a complaint so that tells me that he was probably not in the line of sight but anyhow that is how this one finishes Benfica unable to to find the back of the net to pull even but again I think Benfica took a lot of chances in trying to pull this one level and it almost burned us because I think it was the 81st or 82nd minute Nuno Santos with a karate kick from outside of the outside of the area um puts it it beats Trubin perfectly I mean it kisses the crossbar on its way down into the goal in the far post uh, it was just a it would have been a backbreaker actually if we go into the second leg down three to one it would have been very very hard to come to turn around and get this result but in the end in the end it 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 didn't count because there was another forty five uh, centimeters or so of um, Another offside by 45 centimeters or so called against one of the Sporting players. So this one finishes two to one. Uh, again, this tie is at halftime. This is not. I know it. It's a loss in the record books, but it's it's different than a league match or a one-off knockout phase match. And Benfica will have every opportunity to to pull ahead in the tie in the second leg at home. Okay and um it is just it's, it's unfortunate but it, at the end of the day the results could have been a lot worse so i i'm optimistic coming out of this i really am optimistic and depending what happens this weekend at porto and depending what happens the rest of of the way from here till there in the league when we get to that match this may be Mexico's only. let's let's face the fact this maybe because only chance for silverware this season they're going to go in for the kill in this second leg. And I, I trust Benfica to get the result at home. To advance to the final now. If Benfica go into that leg. Ahead. Um, or you know. A point behind where. They have to win. The weekend match against Sporting. I want them to win the weekend match. And not this one. And I and we showed in this match. Just playing well for really 15 minutes. That so we can beat these guys again. We really can It's. It's going to take a heck of an effort. It's going to take some adjusting. It's going to take a better game plan. It's going to take a better scouting report, but basically but can do this. They they can do this. And it's it's a tough spot to be in right now to be down 2-1 after the first leg, but again, bigger fish to fry right now. This game has a second game that can can completely negate everything that happened in this first leg whereas on Sunday this is a final. Um I, I was talking to the guys from the, the Porto podcast in English earlier today and I, you know, I think we both understand that this is a game both teams want to win and that can make it more dangerous but I think that could be a good thing for us if Porto are taking all kinds of chances I think it could be a good thing for our attackers. Uh, they're desperate to win because if they if Benfica if win this game, we, we solidify second place. And as much as we want to play for the title and as much as we want to defend our title, and, and I do, don't take this the wrong way, I do want to win the title. I do want to be champion again. I want to win the 39. Going 12 points ahead of Porto for second place solidifies at least a spot in the pre-preliminary rounds of the Champions League next year. Now, there's still an avenue in which Benfica can get to the league phase, as they're going to call it going forward, rather than, they're not going to call it the group phase anymore, but the league phase going forward, there is an avenue for Benfica to get there, and Benfica just need uh, one of the teams, you know, to who have already qualified for the Champions League to win the, the Europa League. Or maybe they can win the Europa League themselves as well. Uh, that's a long shot, but we'll talk about that shortly. But this Sunday's match for me is, is far more important. And I know people, there's fans that don't want to hear that, and I totally get that. I totally get you don't want to hear that after a performance like this. But at the end of the day, if you're a coach, if you're the manager, if you're a player, this is the truth, and you understand this. And I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. And we're going to go to the two league matches that we had. And there's not a lot to say about them. We played two of the worst teams in the league. And, you know, anyone who watches Tugo Tuesday uh, on Nino's uh, YouTube page saw us talking about this last week. And uh, we're all pretty. I, I was big on Shavz going down. I'm starting to think Shavz is going to stay up because uh, Porti, Portimonense is not much better they they play probably the worst football in all of portugal they don't even try to play um the win against Portimonense, it took a long time to break the deadlock and when we did it broke it wide open and i don't understand Portimonense completely abandoning their game plan with 30 minutes to play just because they surrendered a goal i i it makes no sense why they would just completely leave themselves open and allow Benfica to score two goals and s- two more goals in such quick succession, and to put this thing out of reach. And it shows why they're at the bottom of the table. That that's not about the quality of the players. That is just a mentality thing. And literally off the opening kickoff, off of Benfica's first goal, off of Rafa's 3 vela goal, uh, they came flying forward and <laughs> left a huge, huge lane of space for David Neres to run through. Cockshoe doing what Cockshoe does best in playing that uh, vertical ball into the space, into the run for Koxu, for uh, David Ned. Excuse me, David Ned walks in on goal, dribbles Nakamura, and then does a no look tap into the goal. I mean, absolutely gangsta from from David Ned here, and uh, Benfica on their way there. Um, it, again, it was not. It was it was a good hour of. I'm not going to say suffering, but a little bit of anxiety as the clock ticked on and on and on and on. If you gets still unable to unlock the deep lying, deep lying uh, lines of two, lines of five, excuse me, two lines of five that Portuñes set up. At times, Portuñes in a line of six defending. Uh, again, uh, the the lineup makes no sense. I, I I'm assuming he was trying to work it to get it right for for this game. And if he has, if Roger had ideas of taking this system into the the, 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 the go on Sunday, I hope he's he's scrapped all those ideas because it's it, they're not good ideas. They're just not good ideas at this point. I think we absolutely need a striker sitting up, um, occupying space, occupying Pep, and occupying Otavio, their new center back. And allowing space in that middle third to get the to get the success we had in the late stages of this match with Sporting or of that match with Sporting that we just finished talking about creating overloads okay um i'm very nervous about Benfica's defending the flanks against the Chico Conceiçãos and the Galenos you know uh, uh, of the world that we're going to see on Sunday uh you got Portus João Mário Ru, you know running down the right flank you got it's just it's just there could be overloads for ferociousness and if boss starts um his form has been so so poor lately and so inconsistent that i am concerned about where you know where he's gonna be and how is he gonna withstand uh galeno on that side of the pitch i i, I I don't see how you don't start Auschnitt at right back, and that creates the problem where you have to start Morato, uh, excuse me, at left back. It's not a good situation. Uh, this can never happen again. Benfica cannot be in a situation where, in the twenty-fourth round of the league season, we are you have to use posi- players out of position to shore up our back line and to defend the flanks. Okay, to defend the flank play. They. I'm not sure why why this happened this year. I mean, it was just a bad. It was a bad uh, gestation, is the word they use in Portuguese. Stone of of the of the the roster this year. You know, we knew Grimaldo was leaving. We thought Udosek was. We brought in Udasek. We had the other kid there that was. You know, sat behind him all season last year, presumably to learn learn from him and take the position, and then he was let go at the beginning of the season. And I we don't know what happened. We still don't know what happened. It it makes little sense what happened. And I'm left I'm left just wondering, um what Roger's gonna do. Again, Roger's been so unpredictable lately that the predictable thing is that we don't is that he's going to do something unpredictable i hope this is not the time he decides to keep the same 11 because this system doesn't work again like i said i don't i'm not a big fan of even of of any system that puts di maria and Nerj on the field together from the start of the match i don't think that it's i don't think that it's gives us our the best chance to win at all i don't it it seems to leave us vulnerable where we're all it makes us more vulnerable where we're already pretty vulnerable which is defending on the outside you know our outside backs ouchness is great okay ouchness but if ouchness has to play on the left then the problem is in building up play and breaking down the press and Porto will press us at times okay they are going to try to force mistakes when we try to play out of the back and if we play to the left and ouchness is the left back his first touch is 99 times out of 100 going to be on his right foot, and it's going to be touched back towards our own goal where the pressing players are coming from. That's going to be a problem. If you play him on the right, then then he gives us more on the right, but now you have Murato uh, on the left. and he, I mean, for a center back, he's good at passing, but now you're playing him as a left back. You're asking a lot of the big guy, and I'm not sure what he's going to do there. But back to these two matches, okay? Again, Vizela, for me, is one of the worst teams in in all top flights in Europe, and there's really not much to take from that match. Okay, There's not much to take from that match. I think Artur Cabral needs to get back in the starting lineup. Um, I think he gives us the best chance to win. Hands down, I think he gives us the best chance to win. He gives us the best chance to have a balanced lineup and a lineup where where he can get into the spaces where he's he's a- been able to get into to to score goals, and that's what we need from him. We can't press the way we want to, but I don't I don't really want to press Porto. I want to make them play. I want to make them build up their play, and I want to bring them forward so we can win the ball. Coxu can knock those those vertical passes into space for the Rafa's, for the Di Maria's, for the Neres, whichever ones are on the pitch at the time. And we can get the ball into dangerous areas and let our one-on-one players do what they do best, which is, which is create, and dribble and put themselves in positions to either score or set their teammates up for goals. So there's very little to take from those two, uh, from those two matches, in my opinion. There's very little to take. Um, with that, we'll talk Europa League real quick, okay? Um, Well, before we talk Europa League, why don't I go over the table in the Liga Portugal now after 23 rounds, going into round 24. Benfica now with a a little bit of an awkward lead because they have one fewer match played. But Benfica and Sporting even on goal difference as well, both at plus uh, 41. Sporting with 63 goals scored, which is 7 more than Benfica. But Benfica with 15 goals allowed, 7 fewer than Sporting uh 58 points for benfica 56 points for Sporting. again with a game in hand in my book spartan has three points and um until they drop them i'm counting on them having them so i'm still viewing Sporting as the leader of the league at this time porto right now third with 49 points and hot on their trail in fourth is Sporting Braga with 46 points so Porto need Porto cannot afford to drop points against us they really can't because they can open up a way for Braga to get back into this race and that is not what they want obviously Porto wants second place and you know the guys at the Porto podcast are clear that that's gonna that's the main objective and it's something their club needs but they really can't fall to fourth place and be in the conference league and be playing conference league preliminaries in in July. You know, it it could make for a very difficult uh, off season for them, especially because monetarily it doesn't bring much. And I think they're going to give everything. They're going to Porto are going to be are going to be willing to die on the pitch uh, this Sunday against us to get that result, to get that victory, and to sort of settle things down. There's also the political side of Porto uh, ongoing with their their situation with their election coming up this year, and there's some that say a Benfica win could spell the end for Pinto da Costa. I'm not certain yet. I'm I'm gonna reserve judgment on that. Uh, I don't know their fan base well enough to to really uh, make a make a judgment on whether or not this one game is gonna is gonna you know going to have that kind of an influence on their long-term future because it is a long-term future question it remains to be seen Benfica can't be worried about that though Benfica got to be worried about only going for the championship here and needing the three points a win on Sunday would be an epic epic victory for benfica one that i don't think we've we, you know it'll be the third time beating porto in the same season back-to-back seasons winning at the Dragão. i don't know that we've ever we've done either of those in a very very long time so i think that uh benfica need this is the match where benfica need to leave it all out there and also they need to die on the pitch to get this result because uh, again thursday's game with rangers will be a first leg and uh, whatever happens, there's still a second leg to 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 save the round if something terrible happens. So it really is all in in this match against Porto. Um, fifth place right now. Getting back to the table is Vitória Guimarães, Vitória Sport Club, to be exact. Guimarães is not actually in their club name, like we said, but it is Vitória. Uh, they have 41 points. They're five behind Braga. But as long as either they they could. If they don't win the cup, Vitoria that is, um, what will happen is one of the big three will win the cup, which means now that we know who the last four are, Santa Clara has been eliminated. So what that means is that uh, fifth place will be a conference league spot this season because the cup spot is going to go to a team already qualifying, unless it's them, which in anyhow they will be in Europe. So that, that gives them a little bit of ease. But chasing them for that fifth spot is their neighbors, Moreres, uh, who are just three points behind them with 38 points. Roca, fresh off a win earlier today, 5-1 winners over uh, Sputnik Chaves, who, like I said, I thought were favorites to get relegated. I still, well, they got a four-point cushion. We'll get to them in a minute. But uh, interestingly enough, though, their, their goal tonight is, very similar to the one Benfica had had called back on VAR last night, so it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting development because it seems like the rules from yesterday to today change, and uh, I don't really agree with that. I don't think anybody agrees with that. You want to see whatever the rule is, whatever the interpretation is, you want to see it be consistent, and it's anything but in portuguese football but roca anyway are seventh place right now and they are playing brilliant football right now i i am i am really uh regretting things i said about them earlier in the season daniel souza their manager has got them playing absolutely great football and you know I don't think they're going to get in a European spot this year. They, you know, were eliminated in the preliminary rounds of the Conference League this year. But uh, right now, they are maybe after the Big Four playing the best football in Portugal. I think they're playing better than Vitória right now. And uh, they've made their way back up the table. Remember, at the beginning, they were down near the bottom. So congratulations to Roca right now. Ferenc is eighth with 26 points. Same number of points as Ninth place, Gil Vicente, France with a one-goal-better goal difference. Tenth place belongs to Family count also on 26 points. But with a negative five goal difference, two behind Gilles Vicente. While 11th place, also on 26 points, Casa Pia, negative 13 goal difference. Uh, behind them in 12th place is Boavista, right now with 24 points. And I wonder if their players have been paid yet. I wonder if uh, their financial situation is any better than it was. um I haven't heard too much about it recently, but they right now do have some cushion between them and the drop zone. And when I say some cushion, I mean two points. They got two points even though they're in twelfth, it's a little bit misleading because they've got only two points between them and the relegation playoff spot in sixteenth place. Thirteenth belongs to Ishturil. Vasco Sibra has got Ishturil on the up he's got them playing uh better football as well getting some results and putting some space between them in the relegation zone as well and but again um i shouldn't say putting some space because there isn't any space they have the same number of points as portimones who are right now in the playoff spot but they have pulled themselves out of the bottom two at the very least and uh, they do have four points between them and the automatic drop zone 15th place, 14th place. excuse me, Riuav, after their big point against Sporting last week. 15th belongs to Estrella de Amadora. All these teams on 22 points, by the way. 16th, Portimones, and also on 22 points. However, the goal difference, they have 13, they are 13 goals worse in goal difference than Estrella de Amadora. So right now, if they don't break this tie, Portimones, they will be the team that, that goes into that playoff. So they're going to need to start getting some results. 17th place right now is Shavz with 18 points. And last place right now is the team I called one of the worst in all of Europe in top flights. Uh, maybe the worst, Vizela. Okay, 17 points for Vizela. Fixtures for this weekend. Like I said, the round started tonight in Sportiv Shavz. Shavs won. Aroka, five. Um, tomorrow... Or by the time you listen to this, this will be today. But uh, 3.30 Portuguese time. Kickoff 3.30 in the afternoon. Moreres hosts Portimones. 6 p.m. Portuguese Standard Time. Estrela hosts Vitoria Guimarães. And 3.30, uh, sorry, 3.30 my time. 8.30 p.m. Portuguese Time. Braga hosting Estrela Amadora at the Quarry. Sunday's matches. Four matches on the slate for Sunday the three thirty p.m. two games at three thirty p.m. Uh, Casapia hosting Gil Vicente and Portimonez hosting Vizella and another relegation six pointer. If you want to get out of the bottom, for both of these teams, they have to win that match. That's the only way out of the bottom. And um, there's no no other way to put it. They both have to win that that match at the bottom. So. After that we have a 6 p.m. Sunday kickoff at the Alvalade Sporting hosting France which I have the feeling they are just going to absolutely smack France only because uh, of having dropped points although may- maybe they ran themselves a little more tired uh, last night against us and maybe just maybe maybe just maybe they uh, will be a little a little legs will be a little heavy and maybe France can can squeak out a result unlikely though at the Alvalade and then the big one is Sunday night 8 30 p.m. Portuguese time 3 30 for me here in the United States East Coast Pacific time will be 12 30 p.m. Porto Benfica and on Sunday fam- I mean on Monday excuse me Family taking on Boa Vista and that that is your let's take a look quickly actually on the in the player that's the golden boot race as it stands Simon Ban- Banza and Victor Gorkares. Are tied on seventeen goals, while Rafa Mujica of Arroca is one behind them. Rafa, by the way, leads the league in assists right now with eleven. Pot right behind him with nine, and that will wrap up for the uh, Liga Portugal uh, this week. Let's talk now Europa League really quickly. Again, um, the performance in Toulouse was, you know, not aesthetically good. I think it was smart, though, honestly. Um, Benfica had no reason to take risks and to go and try to win that game. Benfica had the lead from the first leg. They had a 2-1 lead. Uh, Again, you want to win the match. Yes, you do. Late in the match, though, as the match goes on, you need to manage it, and you need to limit uh, opportunities. And I think we're going back two weeks now or a week and a half. Yeah, we're going back over a week now, so it's hard to remember i meant it to record after this match and things just didn't work out i wasn't able to do it but i remember a couple of opportunities for for toulouse to do it but fortunately for us they lacked the ability in front of goal to really uh to really uh finish on any of their their opportunities but at the end of the day you know there there's a little bit of a perception problem among Mefica fans because I just saw everyone was so angry that we drew nil-nil in advance and saying that the bar has been dropped so low. We are in the middle of uh, an incredibly difficult stretch of matches, okay? And it's guess what? This next month is going to be just as difficult. And this is the price for success. This is the price of being in all competitions. Yes, I know we're not in the Champions League. You know what? It would have been easier if we were in the Champions League because we would have played a match. And then we would have had two weeks of or in, you know, in, yeah, we would have had two weeks in between our uh, in between our these these two legs, and as I look now on Tuesday's schedule in the UEFA Champions League, right? I let's see, Porto do they play this week? They play Wednesday. They they have a Porto don't even play this week. They have another week still before they have to play their Champions League second leg. So. The Europa League is exceptionally difficult because of this extra round and because of all there's more travel in the Europa League because the teams are more spread out geographically. It's just the way it falls um, because of course the the leagues on the periphery of Europe, their teams tend to play in the Europa League. and um, it, Not that it was all that long of a travel. They only went to France. Um, they're just, the matches are a week apart and it's it's bang 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 and now we're gonna play rangers on thursday right we got rangers so this was a draw that some benfica fans were celebrating others were were not so much um you know i i with all due i i've gotten an increase in followers of, of rangers fans by the way the last uh ever since this straw <laughs> the last week or so ever since this draw, and um I'm assuming they're listening because that this tends to happen when we advance in Europe. Fans of the team we're going to play tend to, I notice, followers, and then I notice um, some extra listens on the uh, on the on the podcast. So Rangers fans, if you're still listening, um, welcome. Of course, uh, <laughs> this I I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about Rangers. I'm going to do some homework this weekend on Rangers so that I can get some sort of a preview out i'm gonna do my best to get a preview out on monday or tuesday um because this is this is uh a round of 16 but here's the draw for the round of 16 in the europa league just to make it clear um kwarbog fk who just knocked out Braga, will play Bayer leverkusen that was the one that was the team i did not want to play there were two teams i did not want to draw and that was leverkusen and liverpool anybody other than that i'm game and that's no shade on rangers um Liverpool and Leverkusen, clearly the class of this of this uh, last 16. And then there's really strong teams in there like Roma, AC Milan, um, West Ham. Those are teams also that we avoided. So um, it's it's when you get to this stage, everybody's got a certain level of quality. And Benfica will be hosting Rangers on Thursday after again a performance last week that was did not please anybody again people were very angry but it was well managed you can't you don't like the way it looks you don't enjoy the match i get that but at the end of the day the job got done the team advanced in the middle of a very difficult uh stretch of matches a very difficult uh fixture congestion portion of the calendar and i have mixed feelings about the europa league because the europa league um the Europa League is difficult it's not that the teams are as strong but the other parts around it are difficult and the fact that you play on Thursday is is more difficult than Tuesday or Wednesday that's just a fact okay it gives you less time especially this year because the league is having us play on Sunday after Thursday every week which is great for television it's great for fans to attend a match on a Sunday versus a Monday not great for the players recovery I mean the other leagues do it do it also so it's not it's not like um we're giving away it's not like we're at a disadvantage with these teams that we face but thursday sunday doubles can be very very tough so uh it's it's it is what it is in the words of nelson verissimo our former interim manager it is what it is and maybe you need to be ready to play but honestly after the Porto match on sunday we can worry about this one and befica can field the strongest team they can but again i don't want to in this first leg i know it's at home i don't want to risk anything for next weekend's for the following weekend's league match of course if we lose on sunday that changes everything and i the europa league gains another layer of and another level of importance so i'll have a much better idea of what i want from this match and what i think is going to happen on monday or tuesday so stay tuned for that so rangers fans if you want to hear that uh (laughs) tune back next week i'll do everything i can to get that podcast episode out for you guys so you guys can check it out all right i've gone a long time um i've covered a lot more than i like to in any one episode i'll be back sunday um win loser draw i gotta get the the recap out Sunday uh, because otherwise I just fall behind and then I have to group them all together in a big episode like this and then I don't get to talk as much about certain things and um, and then my memory also you know things get further into the past and it it's not as fresh in your mind but that is gonna do it for this episode 182 thanks for listening coming your way though this this weekend there's more content of course uh, we have we have the match, but we also have the women playing this Sunday. They return to action after the international break. They'll be playing Albergeria as they continue to march towards the Tetra And in in a couple of weeks, uh, Benfica will be playing the mighty Olympic Leon at the Stadio Luge. So another women's episode is in the cards very, very soon. So stay tuned to the feed for that. Also, Parking the Bus podcast will drop an episode, maybe even two this weekend. I'll have a mini episode recapping some of the, the action during the midweek. Um, and then my normal Sunday night show I'm planning to do. Although I may not do that this Monday, this Sunday night because we got a Benfica game Sunday. So that may be pushed off to Monday night. We'll see. But uh, check out, if you haven't already, go over to Parking the Bus and subscribe to that par- that podcast wherever you get your podcast pretty much it's parking the bus make sure it's my parking the bus and not the other guys all right you'll see part of the ptb media network hosted by the mr mike augustino in the notes and um also don't forget to check out my youtube channel which is also just type in at mike augustino and you'll get my youtube channel and i have my latest episode of the summer tour up now from last season so you can see my trip to columbus into what is called the hell is real Derby between the two teams from ohio my son and i driving out there uh across two days to go watch this derby. it was a great time and i'm really actually very happy with how this video came out and this is one of my favorite ones that i've put together so that's it for this that's it for this episode i've gone long enough i've taken enough of your time thank you for spending this time with me thank you for letting me uh have this time from you and hope to uh, hear from all of you at some point I, I, if uh you have any questions you can always shoot them my way DMs probably work the best on Twitter that's or on X uh that's what I'm most likely to to see and most likely to respond to so feel free to shoot them my way if you want to anything about this Porto match coming up anything about the my views on the Europa League what I think about you know Roger changes um, you know the changes he's made, the substitutions, what the lineup. Um, again, it is something that's becoming a little difficult for me to understand right now. He's going in a, in a direction that I'm not fully um, grasping. But again, I don't have all the information to work with either. I would love to be in that team room and know because there are reasons for these, and it's not that he's not a that he doesn't know what he's doing. Because again, you don't, you're not a manager at the top level in in european leagues for over 20 years if you don't know what you're doing and he knows what he's doing there are reasons for these and i'm curious and would love to know what they are but that's it for now my voice is just about done uh, i've done two podcasts today i've done this one and i and i went on the podcast with the guys from the porto podcast in english check that out i'll tweet it out when i'll tweet it out when i have a link but do check that out uh give those guys give those guys uh some attention they they do a great job and uh, they are not toxic portugues they 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 break the game down very good analysts and um we're all just a bunch of portuguese american kids you know and portuguese canadians talking about portuguese football you know all the other podcasts as well uh, the Portugal corner all things all of a you know obviously the Godfather the Godfather of podcasts Benfica podcast uh, Alfredo and and Cristiano there and Benfica after 90 all of the good stuff uh, that's out there in English for Portuguese football fans give it give it your time give it your clicks give it your five star ratings we're all working very very hard and um we all really enjoy doing this, and we do this because we love our clubs and we love, you know, the game, and um, we we enjoy providing this content to you. And that's it for tonight. I am out. I'm I'm gassed. Thank you for for listening. This has been Mister Benfica, episode one eighty two again. The Mister Michael you signing out. Carrega Benfica, Forza Benfica hashtag. We are Benfica hashtag. If you love football, you love Benfica. See you next time here on the pod. I'm out of here. Peace.